I'm so glad I get to follow that. <laughs> I, I came into production meeting like three weeks ago. And I said, hey, what if we do like an air band? I thought we'd just do something silly. And Subi goes, are you kidding me? We can cover that. Be awesome. I'm like, you can do that? He's like, yeah, in three weeks? Yeah, no problem. So I'm like, do it. So that was awesome. That was the, the uh, Life Church 360 man band. It was all men today. Uh, no ladies in the band today. Not bad. <laughs> So you can tell what we're going to talk about today, and I hope that you're kind of relaxing in it, that we're going to actually talk about sex today. We're going to talk about uh, b- biblical sexual boundaries in sexuality. And for some people, it's really funny as a pastor when you get up in front of people and you say, we're going to talk about sex, and you see some people go, oh, right, right, right. Other people like, oh, boy, you know, uh, can we even mention that word in church? And the reason why we feel that way is our upbringing. How do we interact and talk about sex when you were growing up? I mean, like, what, how did your parents handle it? And how did their parents handle it? And what happened in your life when it comes to all of this stuff? And I, I'm really re- reminded of a time, my sister got to have kids first. She was older than me. I'm the middle. And so my sister had three kids. And uh, when her, her middle one, I think it was about three years old, uh, my mom took him shopping to the mall. And you know, when, it, when a three-year-old says, I have to go to the bathroom, what do you do? You go to the bathroom, right? I mean, so, um, so anyway, Andrew's got to go to the bathroom, and mom's at the mall, and so she's got to take him into the women's room. And uh, she takes him into the stall, and she, you know, you're, not, you're trying to wrangle a kid to do the bathroom thing. is just crazy. And he won't, you know, and she's like, come on, you know, Andrew, we need, you know, and she's like, Mimi, what do you got? She's like, uh, come on, honey, let's, let's get, this, get, this, get this thing going. And, uh, and she's, he just, he's totally distracted. He says, no, Mimi, what do you got? So Andrew, I, I don't know. I mean, come on, honey. And, and the lady next to her is starting to laugh because she knows what this kid is asking. <laughs> and, and, and he says again, no, and, and he's, gonna, he's not going. He's not doing it until he gets an answer. And Mimi, what do you got? I don't know, Andrew. What do you got? I have a queaker. What do you have? And so, so now my mom, I mean, grandma has got to respect daughter, right? Because like, you know, my mom's got a really great respect for us and our kids and how we raise our kids. And so my sister told her son that his penis was a queaker. So now what does my mom say? Like, you know, I mean, what, and she's like, she didn't know. She said, you ask your mom, okay? You just ask your mom about what, she, you know, what, what girls have. Because he was unsure. And so for quite a while, that's, that's what he thought of. Now, in the home I grew up in, you know, where we, I mean, like, that's, we talked about that stuff. So I had eyes, and I had an ears, and I had a nose, and I had an elbow, and boys have a penis, and girls have a vagina, and girls have breasts, and boys have pecs, and we don't show our private parts to other people. And uh, when you're little, that's enough information to have, right? But it was accurate information. It was, there's no, like, shame about it. It's just that's what we have. And so I grew up that way. And, and I grew up talking about these things. And maybe you did, and maybe you didn't. Uh, maybe for some of you, uh, the girls only talk to the girls about sexual things, and the boys only talk to the boys about sexual things, uh, which is awkward to me because boys have sex with girls. That's where it should happen. And girls should have sex with boys and, and it should be just married. Uh, that's why we picked the song here. Uh, and we're going to talk about boundaries today because sex is such a big deal. And we're having a, se- uh, a seminar next weekend called Peer Desire. And this Peer Desire seminar, what it's going to do is it's going to give you uh, some education. We all need education. I can't get enough education about this. Culture is screaming at the top of their lungs about sexual things. And if we don't become educated and learn how to talk about this at, you know, in, a, in a mature way, in a respectful way, in a loving way, then we're going to lose all influence in culture, even with our own children. This is a big deal. And so next week, we're going to have this seminar, and it's really going to help you to build a, a theology around sexuality, you know, biblical theology. It's going to help you have a philosophy about it, and then a framework to begin to talk about it. 
and to be able to talk about it with your spouse. A lot of adults have sex, but they don't talk about sex. They, that gets, that we're not doing that. Um, a lot of um, people have one conversation with their kids or give them a book, and that's not enough. Uh, a lot of people just avoid the subject altogether, and we're leaving it to culture to educate our people and our kids about sexuality. And, and it doesn't matter how old you are. This seminar is from ages 12 to 99. Uh, if you're over 99, you're welcome to come. Uh, if you're under 12, here's the deal. It's up to you parents, okay? My, my oldest daughter started asking about sex when she was in kindergarten, and I wasn't ready for that when she was in kindergarten, but that's when she asked, and so that's when we started the conversation, and it's been her whole life. And so when she was 10 or 11, I would have brought her to this. She was ready for it. But that would be up to you, and we're going to use language that goes with you know, appropriate sexuality, um, but it, it's, that's going to happen at the seminar. And for teenagers, this anybody under 18, it's free. Uh, anybody that's over 18, it's $25 a person or $40 a couple. And if there is a financial tightness going on right now in your life, if it's just tight, we'll pay for it. Just let us know. We got it. We want you to be here. Don't miss it because of money. And it's, it's really for everybody. This will help your life. And I want to start today's message uh, and ask you some questions. And the questions that I'm going to ask you, I don't want you to answer out loud, and I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want you to be embarrassed in any way, but here's the questions. Have you ever felt embarrassed talking about sex? Some of you are embarrassed that I'm talking about sex right now. I'm going, just when is this over? And can we go to like, where do you guys want to go to lunch? <laughs> Have you ever felt attacked over sexual topics? Especially when someone finds out like maybe you go to church or you're a Christian. Have you ever felt like people just like attack you because of maybe what they think you might think or believe? Have you ever felt anxiety over how to approach different aspects of human sexuality with other people? Like some aspects of it you're fine with, other aspects like, hey, I can't do that one. Do you ever wish that your sex life was more rich and satisfying? Jesus said he came to give us a rich and satisfying life. The Bible talks about sex. It's the number two topic in the Bible. God wants you to have a rich and satisfying sex life. He designed it. It's, it's his idea. We've talked about that. Um, are there sexual things from your past that haunt you? What do I mean by that? I mean, even one of the reasons why people get so tense about this is because things have happened in your past. And they haunt you. And, and you start thinking about those things. It's like, oh, my kids or my grandkids. Or, you know, it's like you just, have, you just start panicking because it's like, and, and it's there. And you need to know that this stuff haunts a lot of people. And so many people feel alone in this. You are not alone. I promise you that. You're not alone. And we're going to talk about those things at the seminar as well. If you answered yes to any of those questions, this seminar is a don't miss for you. Don't miss it. It'll help you in a lot of ways. It'll help you in every area of your life. Uh, the Christian church, we have not done a good job with talking about sexuality with our people. We have not done a good job educating our people. Um, we've, we've done a really good job judging other people, um, but we've not done a very good job actually loving people and helping people to be able to understand God in his heart. And here's the deal. When, when you do that as a Christian church, which I'm a leader in the Christian church, so I'm putting on me as well. When we do that, it forces people to learn these things from culture. And I want to give you some cultural stats. These are not from Christian websites. These are from cultural websites. These are, these are just public, general public information, okay? Not Christian stuff. Romance stats. Let's start with there. And, and, and I won't even, this isn't even just a stat. Just if you turn on the radio, I don't care what you listen to, country, you listen to pop, you listen to rock, you listen to rap, whatever you listen to, hip hop, it, it doesn't matter. What are most of the songs about? Yeah, some kind of relationship, right? Uh, 
it's not just music, though, either. Do, do you know that the, the romance novel industry, which, by the way, is not real life, romance novel industry is $1.08 billion industry. $1.08 billion. There are 100,000. I went on Amazon. I clicked in romance novels. 100,000 hits came up. That's a lot of books on romance. Right now, you can do that. The number one box office uh, romance movie that's out there, guess what it is? Number one of all time. Anybody? Huh? Titanic. You're exactly right. Guess how much Titanic grossed? $2.19 billion. That was in the 90s. Come on. That's a great point. Second movie of all time, Beauty and the Beast, $1.26 billion. Guys, culture's talking about this. Let's talk about pornography. Pornography dates back thousands and thousands of years. It has been part of the United States history since our inception. Those who say we were such a pure country when we started, it's been here since the beginning of our country. American children begin consuming hardcore pornography at an average age of 11. If you're not talking about your kids, you're not talking about pornography with your kids by the time they're 11 years old, you need to be talking by the time they're nine years old. All right, you need to start having conversations and you need to know how to do it. Don't miss the seminar. Um, four out of five 16-year-olds, four out of five regularly access pornography online. Yeah, you need to be at the seminar. Every second, $3,075.64 is being spent on pornography. Every second, 28,258 internet viewers are viewing pornography. And every 39 minutes, a new pornographic video is made in the United States. The porn industry is a $13 billion business. That's what's reported. That's the legal ones. Yeah, not so good, right? Uh, according to a 2020 survey, approximately 45% of teens who consume porn did so in part to learn about sex. Yeah. Mom and dad, oh, we got to get a hold of this thing. According to a recent report by the BBFC, 75% of parents believe their children had never encountered porn, but of those children, they asked those parents, 53% reported that they had, in fact, seen porn. Now, this is not just a guy thing anymore. In 2021, about 35% of Pornhub's visitors were reported to be women. This is not just a guy thing. And so guys don't just like, I mean, some guys just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you talked about this. It's going to be the worst week of my life. Okay, it's not just a guy thing. <laughs> Next week, my good friend Rod, he, um, we were on staff together at Lake City. We got to help plant this amazing church. And um, God just did miracle after miracle. Rod's going to tell his story. As a pastor, he struggled with pornography. And his wife, Tracy, is going to talk about it with him. All right, you need, you need to be there. You need to be there. Um, because this is a very big deal. It is a very big deal. Sex today now is about identity. It's really amazing. You know, it used to be like, you know, identity was about how much money you made and how smart you were and that kind of stuff. Now it's about sexuality. So this idea of sexual orientation, uh, Wikipedia says sexual orientation is an enduring pattern of romantic or sexual attraction or a combination of these, a person of the opposite sex or gender, the same sex or gender, or both sexes or more than one gender. These attractions are generally subsumed under heterosexuality, homosexuality, and bisexuality, while asexuality is a fourth, which means you're not attracted to anyone sexually at all. Just because you're attracted to somebody doesn't mean that that's what you are or that's your identity. Okay? I'm not an adulterer because I'm attracted to more than one woman. I just put all my energy into that one woman. That's it. Because everything else would be a sin. 
Wikipedia describes gender identity as the personal sense of one's own gender. Gender identity can correlate with a person's assigned sex or can differ from it. Gender expression typically, typically reflects a person's gender identity. The term gender identity was coined by Robert J. Stoller in 1964. And it became popular by John Money. This is a major, major, major topic. And we as a church need to understand what it is, how to talk about it, what God says about it, and how do we deal with it this in an open and loving way that's caring, that's not judgmental, that's not condemning, that's not hurtful. In fact, the first thing I want you to know, just even all philosophy, just sex or any other subject, I want you to know this. The word sin, what it means is it means you miss the mark of God's holiness. It's an archery term. It does not mean you're disgusting. You know, the guy, you know, sin and debauchery. That's not what the word sin means. It means you missed God's mark, his holiness, his best for your life. It doesn't mean he hates you. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's every person. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is an archery term. The second thing is I want you to understand our heart and philosophy. And I want to begin here with philosophy about sex and, and just really anything that's moral or ethical. Uh, number one, God's ideas shape our ideas. We need to get our uh, morality, our philosophy, our theology from God. And the way you get that is in the Bible. It's his word. And so I want to show you a word picture that will help you understand what I'm talking about when I say God's ideas shape our ideas. I call them the four C's. So the four C's have culture, city, church, and Christ. And the column on the left is just a column on the left. It's not left and right. Don't go there. I know that, that we talked about that. We've got to be careful. The column on the left represents the culture with the arrow. The arrow is influence. The culture influences a city. The city influences a church. The church influences Christ. The column on the right would say, no, no, no. Christ influences the church. The church influences the city, and the city influences the culture. Christians would not embrace the column on the left when it comes to where we get our philosophy, where we get our morality, where we get our theology. The church never, ever, ever influences Christ. Christ influences the church. Okay, We get our ideas from him. And what the church should be doing is saying, okay, what does God say? Okay, he influences us. Then the church should influence the culture, the city. And for a long time, guys, the church pulled out. In fact, in the 70s, people started saying, we need to like do our own thing at the church. Avoid the world. Get away from the world. In the 80s, the megachurch was born, and we could have our own gyms and our own schools and our own stuff, and you could come there for everything. The only thing you need to do is go out and get groceries and go to work and just avoid those filthy sinners because they'll infect you. And then in the 90s, and the 2000s, we perfected homeschool, and we basically essentially convinced most of our Christian people to leave the public school system. Why do we have the laws we have in the public school system today? Because we left them. And we pointed a finger at them and we yelled at them and told them how bad they were. And they said, no problem, you're the minority, we don't need you. And we lost our influence. The church needs to influence the city because if the city can be influenced for Jesus, then the city can influence culture. And it starts from in here. It's not an outward behavior that's forced. It's an internal. The same thing is true with your kids. Do you want to control your kids or do you want your kids to have self-control? If you want to control them, you can, but that'll only work while you're there. If you want to influence them, they'll have self-control and they can regulate themselves when you're not there. So the column on the left, you might go, well, let's just throw it out because it just sounds terrible. It's, no, don't throw it out. 
What do you use the column on the left for? Your approach. How do you approach? See, we should definitely think about how are we going to approach the city? How are we going to approach culture? Because culture is ever-changing. You'll notice today I'm not wearing a suit and tie. Why? Nobody's wearing suit and tie anymore. I started in ministry 33 years ago. You wore a suit and tie every time you went to church. That's what we had to do. The pastor sat up on the line on the platform. We all looked stupid and like, hi there, look at you. You're looking at me. Um, and the pastor talked and we nodded our head. And when the offering plate by, we put money in it. To, and we did it every service to make sure everybody knew we were giving. Um, it was just an example thing. And we don't do that anymore. We still give. We just don't do it in front of everybody. Drums on the stage, new thing. That was a big deal. Playing a, a cover song from a band that's not a Christian band. I mean, come on. Here's the deal. It's changing, right? Amen. But the message doesn't change. Why does the message not change? Because it's God's idea, not our idea. Methods change so that you have influence. And in 2 Timothy 3, the Bible is the Bible. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The servant of God is you if you're a follower of Jesus. So you need to be thoroughly equipped in this area. Be at the seminar. Deuteronomy 12, see that you do all I command you. Do not add to it or take away from it. So we don't change the message. We don't redact the message. It's the message, way, way we approach it. That can be different. And that's super important to remember, which is my second point. Influence has more to do with approach than it does facts. Okay, all of you that are science-based, and in America, we are facts-based, man. If you have the facts, you are right. So it doesn't matter how you say it, it doesn't matter what you do, you have the facts and you own them. Just beat them up with the facts. Well, you don't have any influence if you don't change your approach. So I want to give you some ideas about how we approach things, and I want to just show to you really quickly how a vital approach is, okay? When you think about facts, okay, which has more influence? The top 40 songs on the radio today or the top 40 songs of all time in the church? Which has more influence, Hollywood or the local church? Which has more influence, teenagers' parents or teenagers' friends? Well, here's the deal. I would say beyond the shadow of a doubt that the top 40 all-time Christian songs of the church have better facts than the top 40 songs of any era on the radio. But why does that have more influence? Approach. The church has way better facts than Hollywood. Hollywood's messing up the world. And what's going on? Approach. Teenagers' friends have more influence on the teenager than their parents do because of their approach. I've seen so many parents blow it with their kid because they're not willing to have a big conversation with them in a loving way. It's accepting it's the, 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 I approve of you. I love you. Let's talk about what we do and why we do what we do here. It's so important, parents, how you approach them. And, and if you can learn how to do it, I can teach you how to do it. But your kids will talk to you about everything if you'll let them, if it's a safe place. So I call it the ABCs of approach. The first is absolute and appropriate. If you're going to approach somebody, you want to first make sure that you know what biblical absolutes are and biblical absolutes are not. Okay, for example... Kissing is not in the Bible except for to greet one another with a holy kiss. Like, but people who say, you can't kiss until you get married, it's not in the Bible. That might be your preference, but it's not in the Bible. Did any of you do that? I didn't do that. I wouldn't do it again. So I didn't tell my girls, you can't kiss somebody until you're married. It's not in the Bible. Foreplay is not in the Bible. 
Everybody wants to talk about all this foreplay stuff and what's okay and what's not okay and blah. You know, we're going to go into some of that stuff at the seminar, but like, it's not in the Bible. See, literally in the Bible, if you want to talk about biblical sexuality, and I could go through all the verses, there's dozens and dozens and dozens. I mean, hundreds of verses about sex in the Bible. I can go through them with you, and I can, I'm just going to narrow it down for you right here. Here is biblical sexuality. Just, we're going to go more into this at the seminar, but here it is. If you just funnel it all down, it's this. The only sex that a person should have, period, only sex, is a husband and a wife. That is a person who was born a boy, person who was born a girl, and they get married. They're not related, but they get married, and that's the only place that we should have sex. It's God's design, and it's beautiful, and it's what the longing that we all have is there if we can get over some of our own stuff and if we can understand his will for our life. The big deal right now is the LGBTQ And many of us have friends, our family members, our loved ones. And it's very, very difficult because for them, it's their their identity. That's how I'm made. That's who I am. If you reject that, if you say that's wrong, then you say I'm wrong. If you say that's bad, you're saying I'm bad. And there's a very big difference between me saying, hey, listen, that's not something that I do. And the reason why is because of my morals are set in the Bible. But I still love you. I still accept you. I still care about you. In fact, I don't really see that as your identity at all. I see your identity as... Mark or Susie or your person, you're valuable. And that's how, I, that's how I see your identity. But we've made such a big deal of it. I go, but is it a sin? And people go, well, only in the Old Testament. Actually, it's in the New Testament too. In fact, it's even more bluntly stated in, in more of a modern way, if you will, in Romans 1. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were aflame with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with, with other men and received in themselves a due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. So it's in the Bible. It's a biblical absolute. But I'm going to share that appropriately. I have relatives that are involved in this kind of lifestyle. In fact, one of mine didn't even want to come to grandma's funeral because of how everybody talked about him. And I called him. And the first thing I did is I apologized. Because when we were kids, I made fun of him because he was different. He didn't even, wasn't even gay then. We just made fun of him because he was different. And I apologize. I said, I'm so sorry. And I want you to know, I really would love it if you came to grandma's funeral because I think grandma would want you to be there. And I just don't want you to miss it because you feel like anybody else wouldn't want you there. And you can come and stay at our house. And I've seen so many Christians tell their family they can't be at their home. They can't come over for dinner. Come on, do you eat with gossips? Yeah, we all do, all right? We do. Do we eat with gluttons? Yeah, we do. Do we eat with liars? Yeah, because we all lie. Is there different consequences for different sins? There sure are, but sin is sin. So absolute is, this is absolute. I can't change it, but I'm going to be appropriate. In fact, if you're going to hear me talk about this, you're going to hear brokenness in my heart. Just like I would talk to somebody who commits adultery, I would just have brokenness in my heart for you. 
because God wants so much better for you, or somebody who steals and has to pay the penalty for theft, I would just have, I would just have a different, different heart, right? It's, a, it's a absolute, but it's appropriate. B is a Bible idea. We've got to get our mind around God's ideas, not our ideas. See, we have been so accustomed to this pounding of the fist and, and this hatred. Literally, people like, feel like the church hates them because of the way we talk about sin. Now, in Sodom and Gomorrah, if you don't know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah was so um, sexually distorted and perverted that God was going to destroy it, wipe it off the face of the earth. And Abraham says, please, God, don't do that. My nephew Lot's there. Please don't do it. He sends the angel of the Lord there. And one of the stories about that is the angel of the Lord is a man. So he walks into the city and the group of men come up and they want to rape him. That's how bad this place was. It was not a good, healthy place. God did, by the way, wipe it off the face of the earth. He let Lot get away and his family. And people like, the sin and the debauchery and the disgust. Ezekiel 16 tells us what Sodom's sins were. This is, here's a God idea. Okay, here it is. Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. Do you know what pride says? Pride says, I know better than you, God. I know what you say in your word, but I don't want to do it. I know what you say will make me happy, but I don't think so. I, think, I know what will make me happy better than you know. So God, I'm going to do what I want to do. This is true of sexuality. This is true of money. This is true of anything. We can just say, God, I know better than you. Gluttony says I can never get enough. How could I ever just go through life having sex with one person? Well, if you do it right, you'll think it's the greatest thing in the world. Gluttony says that. Laziness says, I want what I want when I want it. I will not wait. I don't have any patience. I do not have any self-discipline. I am not waiting. It's called being lazy. And ignoring the poor says, I only care about myself. See, that's the essence of sin. And it doesn't matter whether it's sexual sin or whatever it is. That's just the essence of sin. And if we can get our, our mind around like God's ideas, we can go to the sea, which is compassion. You know, Jesus handled sexual sin very, very differently than everybody around him. You know, the church has made such a big deal of sexual sin, but we don't follow Jesus' example. In John 8, it says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he went back again to the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, imagine, I'm speaking right here. As he was speaking, the teacher of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. This is not rumor. This is fact. We caught her. We drug her from there to here. The law of Moses says, this is the law. The Bible says, stone her, which means to throw rocks at her until she's dead. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right then, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And these guys realized, Man, uh, yeah, I guess I've sinned. I better, you know, they drop, they're dropping their rocks. He saves this girl's life. And you might not need to understand, like in the Old Testament, it actually does say, If you caught in adultery, you're stoned to death. The New Testament takes it pretty seriously as well. In fact, the New Testament says those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. 
you were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So here's the deal. If you've blown it, lots of people have blown I mean, have I lied? Have I done so? Yes. Does it mean you're not going to go to heaven? No. This is people who say, I have more pride. God, I know better than you. People go, you know, I actually, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church, but I do all this other stuff. God says, you're not fooling me. It's a very, very serious offense. But what does Jesus say? How does he do it? John 8, verse 10. Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I could never condemn a person. He who lives in a glass house should never throw a rock. Church, I'm just scratching the surface. This seminar, I want you to go to it. It will change your life. It'll be so healthy for you. Whether you are not married right now, whether you're married right now, whether your kids are grown, whether your kids are little, um, whether you're a teenager, you need this information. It's going to help you a lot. It is a big, big subject. And even at the seminar, I think we're just going to kind of get open to it, right? Like it's not going to just be the end of it. It's going to be an ongoing conversation, which is what my goal has been with my daughters ever since they were little kids. Ongoing conversation. And I count it an honor. If your kids will talk to you, it's an honor. Because they could just talk to their friends. They could just go to their friends. So really be careful. And, and if you need help in this, come talk, come talk to me. I was a youth pastor for 18 years. I would actually give myself like a B plus on this, okay? I really know how to talk to kids. But we'd love to have you at the seminar. And I'm going to put this aside. You can all relax now. We're going to stop talking about sex. All right, we're done. I want to talk to you about something I think our church needs to do. I've been watching the news. And I can't imagine what it would be like for me to go down to, you know, the, just go over to Tractor Supply, pick up some new, you know, rubber boots to work out in the yard. And while I'm there, Safeway gets bombed. And Tina calls and says, they're bombing our neighborhood. And I say, honey, the bags are packed. You and the kids got to get out of here. I got to stay and help you get out of here. And my wife and my kids with suitcases behind them show up in another country. So over a million have gone to Poland alone. They say three million refugees have already left Ukraine. And the only thing they have to rely on is some very generous people who are going to give them some water and some food and a place to sleep. Here's my idea. How about if we be those generous people? We can do it through us. And we already have a partnership with Convoy of Hope. They're one of our strategic partners. Convoy of Hope is rated um, a five-star rating. That's the highest rating you can get from Charity Navigators every year because of their overhead. They have been there since before the bomb started because of the church. The church is already there. That's what's so beautiful about Convoy of Hope. And because of the church, they can take $1, multiply it into $6. They're giving food. They're giving water. They're giving blankets. Next, they're going to have to start figuring out, what are you going to do with these people? 
Like we don't even know if they're going to be able to go back home again. How are, how are these people going to get integrated into society? Something I mean, that's going to be a whole nother wave later on that we're going to have to look at. But right now we could just give a little bit of money and we could help them. And here's the deal. Um, every week we receive tithes and offerings. And if you're new here, don't feel like I'm asking you to give. I'm not. If you want to give to this thing, go right ahead. It'll all go to them. Promise you that. Uh, but don't feel like I'm trying to get you to give. Those of you who this is your church home, please don't divert your tithe. Things are tight, and, and the tithe is sacred. It's holy to the Lord. Offerings are where we direct them. So please, please continue to your tithe. But you can designate, and you can give just by online. You can go um, to the boxes at the exits of the doors. Uh, you can give online at lifechurch360.com. You can text to give. Uh, you can also, there's a QR code in the seat back in front of you. You can do that one, and you can also mail in a check. If you go online, the pull-down menu, like if you did your tithe, you can even just do one thing, but you can break it up, and you can go, okay, there's my tithe. If you want to do to, to uh, Ukraine, it'll say Convoy of Hope Ukraine, and all of it will go there. And I think all of us can do something. Last night, I, we were at the party at, for the St. Patrick's Day party with the uh, disabled uh, adults with disabilities, and I uh, was circling the room on my little wheeler here, and uh, this girl, Crystal, wanted to talk to me. And Crystal's in her mid-30s, and she's totally debilitated. So she's in a wheelchair and can't really control her, her limbs very well. She can, but not very well. Can't control even her eyes very well. Um, but she is sharp as a tack in here and in here. And she asked the first question, she says, does this church ever do anything in Africa? I said, yeah, I leave in two weeks. She's like, you're kidding, what are you doing? So like, yeah, we're taking a team. And I told her what we're doing. And, and she said, well, I support two missionaries are two missions organizations orphanages in, in Africa and one's in Kenya and one's in Uganda I said that's so cool to talk about them and she goes I so want I've been there once I want to go back I want to help kids that have disabilities and I just want to help and I said well Crystal I believe God's going to help you do that so why don't you and I pray and so we got to pray together later on in the evening the person that helps her came up to me And she said, uh, can't get it in a stack right now. This is Crystal's offering for Africa. It's $5.50. It's Starbucks. Wondering. She lives on a fixed income for the government in a home. And it just, it just touched my heart. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to do something. I'm going to put this in some kind of case. And I'll just give the 550 in cash because that just means something to me. If Crystal can give, I can give. I give something. If you're not able to give, I get it. Things are tight. Let's pray. And uh, you're going to see a video about this from Ukraine. This is, I think it's Ina. It looks like my wife's name. That's why I picked it. So it's I-A-N-A. -A. My wife's Tina. Jesus, we love you. Please help us be a church. It's generous to our world. Please help us be a church that makes a difference. I thank you for all the things that we are able to do. And uh, God, we just thank you that we're doing the food blessing every week. And there's Narcotics Anonymous and, and there's Celebrate Recovery. And there's all this stuff that happens all week long for people. Life groups and marriage groups and the seminar coming up. I pray, Father, you would help us make a major, major difference for you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.